It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. You're listening to The Podcast, the award-winning nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. I'm Fergus Collins. And this week, we're going back to early spring and a trip I made to Warwickshire to meet James MacDonald Lockhart. Now, James has written a book inspired purely by birdsong. And just like our podcasts, James has spent weeks, months, even years on quests to listen to some of Britain's most famous avian songsters. His book is called Wild Air, and it reveals his adventures and some brilliant stories behind each species. In this quest, though, we were after perhaps the most written about, the most composed about, the most loved of all, the Skylark. Did we find them? Did we hear them? It was a miserable day, but we were ever hopeful. Later, join me and the podcast team to delve into the podcast post bag of listeners' messages. And you can always contact me. My email address is editor at countryfile.com. Where are we in the world? We're in a... A small village um, in South Warwickshire, just on the northern edge of the Cotswold Hills. Um, we're just walking to the end of our street. So essentially, we're on a little bit of the little bit of the Cotswolds, but not yeah, very. The very just the last on the edge of it. Yeah. yeah. The last dying breath of the northern Cotswolds. That's it. So it's an area that we haven't actually been to on the podcast, but we're here to celebrate your book, Wild Air, in search of birdsong. But specifically, it's a mission in search of one of the greatest singers, the Skylark, which That's right. we have yep. good numbers locally here. Yeah, we do. So we're, we're just heading up now, walking up a bank, up towards a ridge which we can see ahead of us. There's a series of large arable fields up there. And one of them in particular is uh, especially good for breeding Skylarks. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to see and hear some of them displaying today. That would be amazing. Yeah. Because, uh, the weather's not perfect. It's a bit, a bit overcast. We <laughs> had a fair bit of rain last night and this morning, but actually... It's stopped now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, rain stopped now. And is that a primrose? A bank yeah, of primroses it's a here. bank it's of primroses. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's just in the middle of this sort of rather rough grass. Yeah. Oh, you've got wild on your doorstep, but obviously for your book you've been travelling around because would you t- tell listeners how... What That's sort right. of format of your book is? It's yeah, um, the, so the book is there. about eight different birds and I was, uh, in the first instance, drawn to each species because I was interested in listening to the sounds and the songs that they made. Each of the birds are, are very different and I used the experience of listening to the birds to write about them more generally, to write about their 
behaviour, their movements, their habitats. Um, well, the, f- the first chapter is about um, the nightjar, um, which is a, a bird that makes a strange whirring sound um, at dusk and through the night. And I went to listen to that bird on a, a bit of heathland uh, just south of Heathrow, outside London. And uh, the second chapter is a is about the a seabird called the Manx Shearwater. And I went to the Isle of Rum in the Hebrides to listen to these birds. Say, there's a, a, a one of the biggest colonies outside Pembrokeshire is on Rum, and uh, Manx Shearwaters are unusual because they they only come ashore. This is the the, the breeding adults only come ashore when it's really pitch dark. So when I was up on Rum, this was usually around midnight. And they do this because um, whilst they're supremely adapted for a life in the sea and in the air, they're not at all adapted for moving around. <laughs> they've so got feet a bit rather far back here. in their bodies. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just start heading up. Up here, up through a sort of lovely hazel, hazel yeah. wardrobe, isn't it? And ash and all sorts of yeah. Yeah, lots of oak and hazel understory and well, the bluebells are coming through as well. Are just, yeah. yeah, just this last week they've started yeah. to come. And, um, and yeah, so the the, the shearwaters, um, so they come ashore when it's really dark, and they make a very you know, a strange, otherworldly a sound. It's a sort of kukukukukukukukukukuru sound. And when you've got thousands of them uh, calling like this in the pitch dark. On the mountainside, on we really should have sent you a, a recorder. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's. Uh, I try. I did try to record them. I, I found it was, it was. It was quite windy while I was there, and it was just difficult because of the wind to get a good recording. It's a great spot of wood. Yeah, okay. yeah. We've got quite a few woodpeckers here. Um, Chef Chaff's going. Yeah, things are things are singing. It's yeah. promising. Maybe after all the rain, it's going to be sort of delighted. To, I always find after rain, birds sing a bit stronger. Yeah. So gosh, so yes. you've gone from London to Rum. Yeah, so to, to the Shearwater colony on Rum. And then the next chapter is a, about uh, Riverbird, the Dipper. Fasc- Which I'm very familiar with yeah. in Wales, yeah. Yeah, um, fascinating bird. Unusual in that it, uh, it's one of the few birds that you can see here singing all year round. Even in the depths of winter, dippers will sing, a bit like robins. It's not sing one of the great songs. No, and, it, and it's uh, I mean, in, in when I was yeah, yeah. comparing to sort of the nightingales and the song thrushes and the yeah, and, and dippers, um, they're it, it's interesting. I've I found the experience observing them and trying to hear them interesting because, of course, they have to compete with that sheep. Or there's deer, yeah, deer, that's deer slots. So we, yeah, there's quite a big herd of fallow deer in the wood. Yeah. I'm cunningly letting you do all the talking while we're up hill. This is the steep bit. Yeah, yeah this is the steep right. bank. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's the badger set, in fact, just off on the right here. Oh, this is marvellous. This is a wonderful woodland, actually. There's a lovely yeah. understory of fish. It's not been sort of. Lots of local woodlands to me are sort of gnawed bare by sheep or by yeah. other creatures. And you can see these wet um, springs down here, which actually, even in the drought we had in last summer, they stayed wet. They stayed uh, wet? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And you can see here. We've got the um, old medieval um, dyke, which uh, would have bordered the wood. Really? Just okay. along here. This yeah. Is it here? This yeah, is you see the... the was this just a boundary dyke? Yeah, a boundary it? dyke, yeah. yeah. Amazing amount of yeah. effort just to... Yeah. You know, these days, we probably have GPS signals to... Signal, or, 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 or at yeah. most, barbed wire fence. Yeah. That's an extraordinary. I think one of the reasons the wood is... Has survived so long is that you can see it's a very steep gradient here. Yeah. Obviously, you know, made it unsuitable for cultivation. Uh, in fact, that um, nut hatch there. Nut hatch, yeah, yeah. That sort of. Weep, yeah. weep, 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 weep. There's a good population of them in the woods, and also tree, key, tree creepers as well. It's the sound here. Lots of tits here. I think it's a, a really lovely time of year in the wood because 
it's that moment where you can still see so much so you can as well as hearing the birds you can also you know see them yes because the leaves haven't uh, fully green you know the trees haven't greened over fully yet so there's all this light and space and in a month's time it will it'll be feel very different it'll yeah. be much darker and it'll be harder to see spot the birds in amongst the foliage make the most of it while you can yeah so shearwaters we've had dippers we've had night jars yeah five just, more of your yeah, the, the dippers the, we were talking about how dippers have to compete with a very noisy soundscape because they they, they live uh, on uh, mostly fast flowing rivers and uh, and streams you know, up, they're, they're really confined in the British Isles to upland areas because they, they, they prefer those fast flowing uh, water courses and, and of course they're, they're very noisy places so um, it can be quite hard to hear their song but um, the dippers they, one of the ways I suppose you could think about them singing is as much with their voice as with their their body so that characteristic dipping movement that they yeah. perform very yeah, yeah proper bob bobbing yeah. and and also that they they um if you've ever watched a, a dipper closely they spend a lot of time uh, blinking and when they blink you see a white yes i had saw that uh, last night I funny sh- enough just i got close to a dipper last night on the on on the ask in the evening yeah lovely but yes i yes. can see very clearly so the really, white breast yeah, and the white eye and the white eyes as they blink yeah and these are i think other ways that they communicate interesting I, this is what i've really liked about i haven't read all of your book but the chapters i've read there was so much detail that i've read a lot of books about birds detail i didn't know and that was i know it's coming across now as we talk that there's lots of just fascinating behavior yeah that's i mean one of the things i wanted to do with this book was really just to spend as much time firstly observing the birds so just uh, what I wanted to try and do is, is return to the birds as often as I could to observe them and with the Skylark uh, chapter which were you know, sort of coming a bit closer to the field now oh, really? okay. um, I, I spent it was from the end of March to the end of July and I, I would try to come up most mornings during that period really you know just to sort of bed myself down and watch them as often as I could and as well as that to spend spend as much time as I could researching the ornithological literature on the species so the the book is a blend of my own um, experiences observing the birds with the research of, of ornithologists and naturalists but the reason there's only eight chapters in the book is that it, it gave me a bit more space to write about each of the birds uh, yes so the next chapter is is the skylark um, and I did the research just up here on the left of this field and then um, after the skylarks comes ravens ravens yes um, very familiar bird if you live well pretty much anywhere now that's, that's right I remember yeah. as a kid they were hard to find but yeah and the one of um, one of the interesting things that's happened with ravens is that as they've expanded back um, they've often ended up nesting in um, abandoned sites that which were abandoned maybe a hundred years ago so they've come back to the same cliffs to, or, the, to the kind of ancestral sites yeah, of yeah. raven haunts and now it's kind know, of a good news story yeah, yeah. um yeah. and then was it black-throated di- oh, yeah yeah, and then I, yeah black-throated i've only diner. heard a couple of times yeah. up in scotland uh, a rare brilliant beautiful sound. beautiful bird which <laughs> yeah. um that makes this extraordinary i suppose it could be described as a kind of yodeling yeah sound that that, that's probably the best yeah that's a good way to um, which can carry you know, vast distances. It's, apparently, you can hear it on a clear day, six miles away. No, they're absolutely uh, stunning birds. Let's just say we're walking past this. Ba- is this bank here? Of, there's like bluebells. There's yes. um, wood anemones. There's yes. primroses. Dogs mercury. Yep. There's uh, what else? There's stitch. What? It's just lovely. Yeah. It's like the whole spring brigade of, yeah. of woodland flowers yeah, here. Out. Yeah. And then after the divers. Um, I went to the Outer Hebrides to uh, spend time specifically um, observing lapwings there on the Macha, the sand dune pasture of South Uis and Bembecula. And, uh, and I, I have always loved lapwings, always love watching their display flights, wonderfully yeah, kind of electric bubbling sound that they make. Fantastic sound. Yeah. Um, and and the, 
book and I think probably has its origins in that habitat and that a few years ago I spent some time up on the Macha and um, it was just kind of astounded really by the um, the numbers of birds still present in that habitat it's like like I felt to me like it was like nowhere else in the British Isles in terms of the abundance of birds and the and the soundscape that these birds produced as well so the lapwings oyster catchers red shanks we're gonna to have to get up there with the recorder yeah it sounds like it's a... really and yeah I, I, and, and you know you see birds like ken harriers and um even though there are uh, white-tailed eagles there as well and the, when when these uh, predatory birds fly across the territories of the waders you know that sound is extraordinary all the waders club together to try and yeah that's uh, the th- uh, i think that's the point them. is that they need these bigger colonies in order to drive off the, that's right when yeah. they come down to sort of three or four pairs that's when they the colony yeah. vanishes really quickly yeah. because the lapwing in particular is a um my my great grandfather the naturalist seaton gordon who I, I write about quite a lot in the book he described it as the most pugnacious bird and you know, they, they are very uh, territorial and uh, aggressive in defending their territories against particularly predators. Uh, Seaton yeah. Gordon, you mentioned Seaton Gordon. So you're from a line of people who watch nature. And he's a, and you can tell us who Seaton Gordon was for younger listeners. Yeah, so um, Seaton Gordon was a Scottish naturalist who lived a long life. He was born uh, in the 1880s and died in the 1970s, died in, when he was 90 years old. And um, he was my great-grandfather. And I grew up, I suppose, so, you know, surrounded by his, his books. He published many books over his long life, nearly 30 in all. And most of the books were about the wildlife of the Highlands. He lived... Uh, when he was a young man in the Cairngorms near Aviemore and then he moved to the north end of the Isle of Skye and spent most of his life there and his um, his his work is full of um, well there are elements of folklore and history in it as well as um, natural history but his I think his abiding love and interest were birds and particularly birds of the high mountains so uh, golden eagle ptarmigan, dotterel snow bunting these are the species that he he yeah. studied and wrote about throughout his career and in fact took some of the first photographs of some of these species this was back in in the uh, 1920s he kindly showed me some of his books and the yeah. photos they are yeah. incredible and there's sort of photos that were would adorn all the bird books of my childhood as yeah. well so he was a big influence on me growing up reading his books and just being surrounded by his photographs and and in this book wild air i just wanted to bring his his presence and his voice more into the book as a way of uh, acknowledging that influence he had on me oh uh, yeah uh, this is the singing about uh, lovely one yeah I once came across a fox curled up in the in the hollow here. Oh, okay. so yeah. it's just a sawn-off stump yeah. of a of a rotting bit. Quite yeah. rare to find yeah. big trees left standing. So this is the marker to turn off now to the Skylark yeah. Field. I see. Okay. Um, yeah. So we've come out of the woods. We've come through yeah. a sort of hedge from your ruined beech tree to a broad. Uh, what sort of crop is this? Is it yeah. So this is a, yeah winter sown. Um, uh, wheat or barley, I think. It's only a few inches tall at the moment, but we'll start to accelerate away, I think, in the next few weeks. Actually, we can use the field that I did, oh, right. did the bulk of my research in. and yeah. It seems to be a particularly good habitat for skylarks um, because, um, really, of the kind of the structure of the environment, I suppose, the first thing is that it's got this big openness and it you can see there's a hedge running around the border but it's actually a very low hedge and yes one of the things that skylarks don't like is they don't like tall structures they don't like to be overlooked by you know trees and um telegraph poles and things like that because really? that, even telegraph poles because it affords a vantage point for a, a predatory bird to mm-hmm. overlook the colony so i mean we have the wood here which we've just come through on one side of the field but actually as you can hear the skylights are some distance away from okay. from the wood, and from what I gather, a, a 200 meters seems to be about the, the the zone that they're comfortable in, away from a tall structure. And I certainly found that 
bulk of the skylight activity was over that that that, oh, okay. that side so of the field. Walk, can yeah. we get? Can we? Get yeah, we can walk yeah. across. Oh, so, yeah. There's a sort of. Is this a footpath? Is this yeah. a footpath? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's one of these interesting ones which yeah. runs through the crop, which yeah. I've always found a sort of slightly strange but it yeah. is an ancient presumably an ancient yeah way, so it runs it? down to the village down in the valley there yeah, yeah. So that's the path of desire between your your yeah. village your home yeah, village and, the and the next one, one. Yeah. so heading out into the middle of this field as i say on a footpath but it always feels a little unnerving to walk out into the middle of crops uh but totally fine to do so these tram lines do they are helpful to the skylarks because as the crop starts to thicken up and become more dense as the spring develops um, they um, they give the, the skylarks uh, space to move around and forage in um, what, what one of the issues that skylarks face particularly in a, in a field like this which has you know, been sown in the winter is that because the crop has that head start of being sown a bit earlier it means that it can it can become too dense and too tall for the skylarks later on in the spring and so it can curtail their breeding season and so where there is you know tram lines like these that we're crossing um, and sometimes um, the farmers will leave uh, um, small areas unsown for the birds I think that that really really helps them I think possibly it's one of the reasons why besides the, just the structure of the habitat of this field why why the skylarks um, you know, like this field in particular to read in. So uh, there's been a big change. So this this is a, you said a winter zone. This is one winter zone. Yeah. So yeah. traditionally, so, crops weren't sown in the winter. Yeah, is that, that right. That's right. Yeah, it's a change that's occurred over the last few years, last few decades, where. I mean, not all, all crops, but uh, some are sown in the winter to give them that head start. And it, it seems to be one of the main issues that has impacted the, the skylark population in this country. Um, they, because they're, they're a ground nesting bird, um, they face lots of uh, pressures from predation uh, to, um, you know, their, their, their nest being uh, disturbed, trampled by livestock, people. And they really, they, they, they really need to raise three broods a year um, in order to sustain the population. Really, just to get two chicks out of those three birds, just to sort of... So, so, sort of so yeah, so the adults, they'll, they'll start their first nest. As soon as the, 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 the chicks have dispersed from that nest, they'll start thinking about the next one. So it's one, two, three, three uh, nests, three broods in the spring if they can. There we go. Oh, here we go. It's actually, I, I find that on an overcast day like this, sometimes better for spotting the Against the, the, against the grey yeah, sky, yeah. black dot. So that, uh, so it's about a hundred metres up. I've yeah. lost it now. Yeah, I've lost it too. Yeah, they just sort of vanish yeah. into the... It's just an incredible song. The, and so, for, for the, explain what it's doing, because it just flies straight up, pretty much. Yeah, yeah like a rocket goes yeah, straight yeah, up. Yeah, with yeah. That, with trailing a song yeah. behind it. Yeah, and, and reaching a height, well, on, on, on average, most skylarks go up to about, well, certainly above the height of Big Ben. There's another one just, just in front of yes. us. Yes, just going to catch that and watch it going up. And they go up at this terrific rate, and you have to remember that you know most birds that climb high do so by by soaring, you know, yeah. using a thermal to take them up. Whereas the skylark powers itself up on these tiny wings. tiny wings. They're crazy. Yeah. It's right above us. Big circle. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, I remember you talking about the circles in your chapter. Yeah. So is he sort of circling his territory, or is he just sort of trying to gather as much, sort of cast his sound as widely yeah. as possible? 
Very good. So he's kind of holding himself a bit more now. Yeah. I think that they do. Um, so one of the one of the ways that they stay in in level flight once they're up like that is by checking their momentum against the the wind. Okay. And actually today there's very little wind at all. Yeah. And I think once they get up, they then have to they have to work to move around. You see, like like this one is doing. It's absolutely fascinating. We've got a plane to compete yeah. with it, as always. But he's singing about He's really high now. Yeah. He's right above us. Yeah. You know, the, the way they shoot up, and also if we, if we catch it, the way they come down can be very dramatic to watch. I think that the key thing that's being displayed is actually how long the bird stays up in level flight. Oh, so I've got loads of energy. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. It's so like the guy who dances on the dance floor longest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's another one just kind of. Oh, there's lots. Of... Oh, this is heaven. And here's one coming. That's uh... really close. They do seem to sometimes just trigger each other off like this. This is really good. We're right in the middle yeah. of the field, right in the middle of the Skylark Arena. <gasps> this is fantastic. That's why I wasn't hopeful when it was raining in so the So now, you see that one's now, he's coming down. Parachuting down. down. Yeah, so parachuting, like, yeah. And then the last bit. Oh, okay, he just does a little Yeah, and that's more. And now he's down into the field. Another one right above us. Yeah. That, that was more of a parachuting descent, but sometimes they can just shoot down like a stone, really, really straight fast. down into yeah. the. Presumably they don't shoot straight down to their nests. They, they just come down and then just sort of hold themselves above the above. The sometimes you'll see them; they'll come down parachuting like this one's coming down now. Oh, yeah. It's thinking about it slowly. Yeah, it's a, what an incredible field. Because it's, it's nothing to look at in the sense of, if you don't mind me being rude about it, it's kind of just a, it's it's just a crop field. It's just a crop field, yeah. And now he's into the, he dropped down, yes. Yeah. So that was interesting. So as he came down, he just flew above the crop, just uh, maybe half a foot or so, and um, provoked another bird to come out and uh, shoot away. Um, One of the really interesting pieces of research I came across when I was... Um, reading about skylarks was that um, they sing not just to convey information to potential mates and rivals down in the field, but skylarks will also sing to um, convey information to predators. So one of their main avian predators, although we don't have them here, are a small falcon called the merlin. And merlins will pursue skylarks through the air on these fast, twisting flights. And a skylark that um, sings loudly and vigorously to a merlin that is pursuing it is saying to the merlin, "Look, I'm fit, and I can, you know, I can outlast this pursuit, so it's not worth your while." And those skylarks that sing to the merlin will more often not not then be the merlin will then abandon the pursuit. So there's a communication exchange going on between skylark and merlin, and and, and both benefit from that exchange because. Both are not needlessly exhausted. Yeah, by, that's by really interesting. But they can sing as it's flying. Yeah, of the yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That, that notion that to skylark, uh, um, it, it sings literally to survive. You know, mm. so it's, uh, they, they don't mind us really. I don't think they're sort of too. Yeah. They, too seem, they seem to have turned it on for us because when we yeah. walked out, there wasn't much, and now it's all. Uh, that's quite a rare occasion yeah. for the podcast <laughs> to actually get the. Uh, whereas, yeah, the skylarks obviously declined, and that's yeah. we were talking about the change in agricultural practices. Yeah, they've. I mean, they have declined massively since the 1980s. Probably half of the population in in Britain has been lost. Yes. See, that's shocking. The 1980s is. Mm. You know, I was growing up. I was a teenager. I was uh, very aware of environmental issues, and particularly the sort of things like bird declines yeah. were in the news. But yeah. Even since then, we've managed to let them slip through. I mean, our that's, that's probably about a million, a million and a half pairs that have, have gone. gone. So we're down to a million and a half still in Britain. Forty so. years, yeah. yeah. Lots so. of activity now. We've got yeah. three or four birds just flying low over the crop. I, I loved, I loved watching them like this. I mean, that you yeah. know, the, 
the traditional view of the skylark is one rising on its song display, but actually there's an awful lot of activity that occurs just at the level of the of the field. Well, you were saying a lot happens on the ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what sort of what sort of interactions with the male and female? So that so there's that you'll often see um, courtship flights where the male and female will you know, tear around, following each other. Um, Around, just above, just a, you know, just a few inches really above the surface of the crop, you'll sometimes see territorial disputes, similarly fast chases, going on around the around the uh, the surface of the crop. Um, sometimes, I mean, the, 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 there's also a kind of a hidden world, if you like, which occurs where you know there are there are some very um, beautiful, I think, uh, courtship dances between male and female that actually occur on the ground, which we can't see. People obviously. have managed to see that by yeah, so cameras or, so or just sort of getting on there. I think so, yeah, or... just be, being able to find somewhere where they can watch it, you know. Uh, some crows yeah. patrolling. Yeah. So would crows be a problem for skylarks? Yes, they would, yeah. They'd be one of their predators, yeah. Sparrowhawks is not enough cover here, I suppose. I did once see a sparrowhawk. Um, I was just in the hedge over there, and it was quite late in the season, and I out of the corner of my eye, I noticed this scuffle over the field, and a sparrowhawk had come out of the wood um, to pursue a skylark, but it, it quickly abandoned the pursuit yeah. and slunk back into the wood. I have had a lot of conversations and a lot of correspondence from people who do blame uh, raptors for the decline of. Skylarks. Yeah. Can we put that one to bed? I think certainly. You know, it's you know that the, the, the main, all the evidence that I've seen points to changes in the structure of their habitat, particularly yeah. through changes in um, agricultural sowing times. I, I mean, I, I I suspect too that declines in the in the insect population as well has been a significant factor. So you know, they eat insects. So Insectivorous during the breeding season. Yeah, I would sometimes see skylarks. When I was here doing the research, this was actually a bean crop, and um, they would be perched on top of the bean plants. And uh, sometimes I would see a skylark with um, what looked like a kind of a cigar stub out of its beak, which was just a kind of gluey mass of insects that they that, that they picked up. Oh, like all the aphids that you get on yeah, beans. Oh, yeah, gosh, I wish they'd come so, to my garden. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, that's um, interesting. So they will eat all those little. Yeah, so that you know, and it declines, it decline in the insect population is obviously going to affect a bird such as this. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. combination, I think, of decline in their prey and yes. habitat loss is. Yeah, one of the um, issues that they face also is that um, uh, their young um, actually disperse from the nest um, very, very quickly before they can feed themselves. So they can run around quite quickly. Well, this is a one, one of the ways that they avoid uh, predation, is that they disperse so that if they wow. crow so they're quite, fox, yeah. How quickly then after hatching can so, they... So, you know, within a matter of, uh, you know, I think hours, they can disperse away from so the they're nest. they're helpless like the goose Well, they're, still, they're still dependent on their parents for food. And so the parent... I, I, I've often noticed a... Um, Skylark adults with food in their mouth on on top of the bean crop, and they were making this kind of slightly plaintive sound. And I wondered if it was them trying to locate the the chicks, because as the crop becomes more dense, um, so the chicks can become lost, and it can be quite difficult for the Goodness, adults yeah, to find yeah, them. Yeah. But there's um, one of the issues the chicks face is that if you have a drought and you get uh, drought cracks appearing in the ground, they you know they can fall into the drought oh, crop and oh, like a sort of yeah, awful not, crevice. For them, it's like a yeah, you know, mountain crevice and the crevasse, I should say, and then they can't ever. So I think the adults have their work cut out, you know, uh, trying to find the chicks yeah, to feed yeah, them. Yeah, 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 <laughs> but are they? Yeah. Uh, so, so are they naked? So I think of sort of you know, hedgerow birds and the naked chicks that are sort of pretty dependent. So no, they've they've fledged, but they can't they can't feed feed themselves. Yeah, so, so, so they have yeah. feathers. Yeah. They can run yeah, around, yeah. but they can't yeah. fly very much. They can just sort yeah. of run. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Yeah, how interesting. Different yeah. different sort of a- adaptation. So this is your skulking. Yeah, this was quite a good place yeah. to come. So you could, I could stand here, and you can see you've got a good, a good perspective of this field here. Three, three fields yeah. at your mercy. Yeah. Um, actually, we'll walk on down yeah, to the sure. next one because yeah. there's another one as well. While we're walking, I wanted to ask you. Obviously, you've you know, touched on the subject of conservation, the future of these birds, and the threats they face. Uh, and in your book, Raptor, which is focusing on obviously birds of prey. Uh, how optimistic are you about the future of our wildlife in Britain? Well, I mean, I think like a lot of people, I'm just hugely concerned. Um, you know, the, the declines for so many species of birds have been, you know, just 
awful over the last uh, 30, 40 years or so. I mean, um, I think the, the signs for hope are that there is a, a, a good deal of uh, awareness um, and anguish amongst lots of people. Um, and I think we, we know uh, for many of the species what has gone wrong for them, um, particularly around issues to do with habitat and uh, pesticides. Um, so and talking of sort of farmland birds, particularly we particularly sort of know what's, birds, what's yeah, yeah, which I think, you know, other species that have been hit hardest. Um, I know not, so, no, not so long ago you probably would have had birds like uh, uh, lapwings, uh, curlews even here. Yes, because you um, went all the way to Macha yeah, in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, occasionally I've seen and heard a, a lapwing passing through early in the spring here, but they, I've never seen them resident in this area. To answer the question, I'm, I'm very worried, but um, you have to be hopeful, I think. You, know, yeah. you, have to, um, you have to do everything we can to um, help the birds. I, I, I mean, I, I think one of the reasons for hope is that um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take too much for the birds to come back. You know, as long as the conditions are right yes. for them, they yeah. will come back. Um, but you have, to, you, know, you have to allow them to come back. You have to give them that chance. So yeah, that's that's good. So there's positivity that there's hope. <laughs> if you had one thing that you would say to listeners that they could do, it's a tricky one. Mm. But one thing, what would you suggest? Um, or two things even. Yeah. Um, what can people do? Um, I think you know. They, obviously, there are options like you know writing to your MP and you know telling them what you're concerned about um, but um, I think it, it's probably a case of just the more people who talk about it who raise concerns about the issues the more likely something is going to get done you know, talk so. about it with friends and family yeah yeah, yeah. and um, put pr- political pressure where you can as well you know because it's clearly that you know, these decisions have to be made at a political level, ultimately, yes. you know, to have the kind of changes that you need to, to, to really um, row back on a lot of the declines that have happened. So, Do you see much, without wanting it to be a leading question, do you see much political appetite at the moment? Not at the moment, no. I don't think anybody does at the mm. moment, no. But, you know... Things uh, change. Things change, governments change, um, and, you know, as I said, you just have to be hopeful, you have to remain hopeful. Birdsong is is the soundscape of of a landscape for us. You know, mm. it's mostly what we associate with the soundscape of, of any habitat, um, and for it to fall silent would be just uh, it's an unthinkable, un- un- unthinkable yeah. tragedy. Um, so another thing people can do is go out there, listen, and and see what they do have, and celebrate what they do have. Yeah, uh, you know, tell people about yeah, it, take friends. Over, yeah, yeah. that's a really good cherish it, hold on to it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline ebay motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly brake kits led headlights bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply so relish birdsong well that's what we do on the podcast all the time particularly in spring and we're recording this plod chat uh i recorded that with james back in back in early april and now we're in early june so we've had the whole spring of birdsong since then but um each time i think of james's words that 
the more we relish birdsong, tell people about it, show them it, because once you waken people up to birdsong, they start to listen to it, and then maybe they uh, they might sort of cherish it more, tell other people, and we might not lose our skylarks if more people love them. But I'm really grateful to James for uh, for, for taking me on that adventure, because it wasn't a promising day, but when we arrived there, the skylarks ascended, and it was marvellous. Talking marvellous, <laughs> I'm in the podcast studio with, but not with Jack and Hannah. Jack's on holiday and Hannah's not very well. Um, so wish Hannah all the best to get better. But a more than capable replacement is Britt. Britt works with Jack as a podcast producer. Britt, lovely to see you. Hello. Oh, it's so nice to have you. You've been on the podcast before. Yes. Yeah, the Christmas quiz, which... I won. You did. I you did. did. We should have had you on before now. Um, really <laughs> nice to see you. How, how are you doing? Yeah, really good, thank you. Quite busy now with Jack off. I know. But that's okay. He's allowed to take holiday. <laughs> <laughs> very, very rarely. Um, great to have you. Uh, while we're talking skylarks, have, when was the last time you heard a skylark? So I've definitely never seen a, a skylark. I was thinking about that earlier today. I don't think I've seen one, but I've definitely heard them. But the most I know about skylarks is the lark ascending. Oh, yes. So I'm, um, I was a music student a few years ago, and so I know a lot about that piece and therefore learnt quite a bit about Skylarks because of their song. Okay, um, so but I'm not sure I've ever actually seen any. It's one of the f- my favourite pieces of music. Mm, oh, it's beautiful. What do you know of it? I mean, it's, it's Ralph Vaughan Williams, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and it's, well, it's, it's a violin, isn't it? A sort of violin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm actually a violinist, so I've tried to learn it quite a few times because it is so beautiful, but it's actually really hard to play. Um, and I'm not a, um, I'm not exactly much of a performer, but it's really difficult to play. But just obviously, it's just so beautiful. I would love to. Would you play it for us? Sometime? Well, I can't play it. I'll find. I'll try and learn it again because it was a okay. long time ago. I'll definitely give it a go. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be a task for. Yeah, I'd love to hear it uh, played in the studio here. Gosh, well, I'm sure listeners. I'm would also love it too. about to expose Jack because I'm sure he's never said, but he's actually also a cellist. Oh, really? So I wonder whether he could have a stab at it as well. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I did not know. Well, this I is think great. he's going to hate that. I've told <laughs> everybody that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, um, the lark ascending in mm. the studio would be a dream come true. We'll Thank see what you. We can do. <laughs> um, I should say James's book uh, is called Wild Air. James and McDonald Lockhart, Wild, Wild Air in Search of Birdsong, published by Fourth Estate, and it's going to be a prize for one of our listeners. But we'll come to that later in the podcast because now Brit's here. We can still do our regular feature of what have you been up to, happenings and sightings, and Brit. So. Anyone who did listen to the Christmas quiz, I mentioned that I'm quite an avid runner and I love getting out on the trails and getting into countryside and that's my main countryside fix is when I'm out running. So last night, me and my boyfriend went on a run, about an hour-long run over to Lee Woods. So we are based in Bristol. And Lee Woods, if you don't know, is a beautiful uh, National Trust woodland area across the other side of the Avon Gorge. It was a really, really hot summer's day yesterday. And so we left it until about 6.37 to get out on a run. And in that time in the evening, you get to see so many different kinds of wildlife than you would in the day, as well as in the daytime, especially in Lee Woods. You've got so many dog walkers and you've got lots of people, lots of mountain bikers as well. It's just, it's lovely, but you don't quite see the same things. So in the space of about 10 minutes, at the end of our run as well, we saw, and I've written it down so I don't forget, a baby blue tit kind of I thought it fell out of the tree but actually I think it I think it is flying but it kind of bombed out of the tree onto the foliage below and was really really small and fluffy and it was kind of just bouncing around for a while wasn't flying off didn't seem in distress but we um stood and watched that for uh, about five minutes which was lovely very sweet Jack would be happy he loves his baby birds oh it's yeah. so sweet um and then about 30 seconds later once we'd started running so it's a very disrupted run it wasn't a, it wasn't a good training run but <laughs> it was run beautiful. With nature, yeah. exactly and then we saw probably a burnet moth but it also could have been a cinnabar Black, I'm not, black and red yeah sort of exactly and yeah. also we didn't have our neither of us had our phones on us and it's the one time that we've gone oh i really wish we'd taken our phones on our run because usually we love to really disconnect but actually then you're going oh, we should take a photo so that we can now refer back and work out which one it was um so i saw that just um sitting on a flower and then we saw a different moth which was a brown speckled moth Right. Okay. There's so a lot of those. That's but what they, I was yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I then think because it was near, possibly a burnet. Isn't there a kind of moth that's like a companion 
burn it moth or something you you're 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 sending me into territory i don't i'm i'm not comfortable with (laughs) well i don't know but i had a quick google and there's obviously lots of different kinds of brown moths but i like the idea that because there's a a kind of moth that's called a companion burnet that it has confirmed that the first one was a burnet moth and the second one was its companion i'm probably completely wrong but i would really like it if that were true so we're just going to run with it and i didn't have my phone so i couldn't take any photos so nobody can prove otherwise (laughs) (laughs) excellent yes and it's all the medium of audio exactly so uh, So in fact yeah here's here's a picture (laughs) yes gosh it's it's absolutely one of those brown brown speckledy moths so we saw two beautiful moths and it was lovely um and then we about 30 seconds later again jeremy said not to include this one but i thought it was very exciting a squirrel sunbathing in a tree but there are a lot of those but i just thought it was lovely yeah good and uh then as we were leaving leewards we saw a wood mouse run run across into the path stop turn around and run away as it saw us which i then thought we'd saved its life by scaring it because we then saw a slow worm Oh, really? Which actually don't eat mice anyway. So I don't it's really... think it would be big But at the to... time, we saw a slow worm and I thought, right, he was going to go and eat that mouse. We mm. scared the mouse away. <laughs> mouse is now safe. Slow worm, really sorry, you're going you're gonna to go hungry. But all ended up okay because they just eat insects. Slow worm is a really good mm. sighting, actually. I, I haven't seen one. Well, I didn't know. I saw some with Kevin Parr, our regular reptileologist. Mm. Um <laughs> reptile man down at his place but um i used to have a garden full of slow worms and um i moved away from there and i haven't seen many since so wonderful great i'm, so I'm sure i'd never seen yeah. one until yesterday slugs are their favorite thing so uh, we should all encourage slow worms all into slow worms. Yeah. oh that's a brilliant run yeah. so you had a really good good it was time absolutely buzzing after that <laughs> lovely lovely oh well that's cool um well I'll, I'll give you what have i been up to i have Yesterday, we had an open garden thing going on in my part of Abergavenny. Mm. Oh, my goodness. I was blown away by neighbours' gardens and things. I mean, I never open up mine because it's just a, it's, it's a disappointment on a, on, oh, many, no. on, a, on a big scale. <laughs> and I don't want to... P- pond news, for those who listen regularly, pond news is not great. We've had so much hot weather, as you mentioned. The pond is drying up rapidly, so I'm just sort of ignoring it at the moment and hoping mm. that everything survives. But yes, so the other gardens, what was amazing... I saw my dream garden. Really? I saw my dream garden, and I know now what I want to do for the rest of my life is find a garden oh. to live in like this. So it had a bit of formal stuff. I mean, really amazing. I say a bit of formal stuff. Mm. There were like scrubby, deserty bits, and there were, but like kind of done f- to, to cope with climate change. Mm. But then they had this field which was just a meadow with a, with orchard trees, a few chickens, and paths cut through the meadow, and full of wildflowers. Then as you walked sort of 200 or 300 yards through the meadow, came to this pond, and it was just the most magical pond with lilies and dragonflies and all sorts of... And there was a guy, the owner, was just sitting there, and he said, I've got 10 species of dragonflies. And I thought, goodness me, you lucky, lucky... So, um... Envy is a very tiring thing. Mm. By the end of the day, I need a lot of tea and cake to cope with that. But Sounds it was, like the garden to beat all gardens. It was magical, mm. absolutely. And I've been to Chelsea recently, and I, this one, for me, appealed to my sense of what I would love. So did that, you tell him that? I didn't I'm sure want you would to. Love to yeah, know. I did the British thing, saying <laughs> I love your garden through gritted teeth. Um, <laughs> but it was really, really special. So that was that was kind of the most magical happening. So I've seen there's been lots of good wildlife encounters, but that's the one mm. that is stuck in my mind of the dragonflies bombing around the pond like wow. hummingbirds. It yeah. was just incredible. Um, so yeah, please do send us in your sightings and thoughts and wonderful things that you've come across, particularly anything that you've recorded. And you can always contact me, editor at countryfile.com. And I just love to get, we all love to get them um, and read them out. But we've got some, we've got some actually to share. We've, I've, we, we've had loads in, as Jack mentioned last week, the post bag has been full. But, um, and we, we're sort of drip feeding them because we don't want to ever run out. But we've got so many. So please, don't, if you've written into us and you're going, why haven't they read mine out yet? It's there. It's it's we're waiting, but we just want to we want to savor each one. Um, Britt, would you mind having a little read of this one? Of course. So our first one is hello, Fergus, Hannah, and Jack. And Britt. 
And <laughs> I had to write to tell you how much I love your podcast. I am from the US and I'm truly envious of your countryside. Everything from stone walls, castle ruins, market towns and quaint cottages. I enjoy listening to your guests who have knowledge, wisdom and great appreciation for the land and protection of wildlife. Thank you for bringing me a taste of the countryside every week. I've also sent you a small recording from a recent walk in my local forest preserve. You can hear red-breasted woodpeckers, red-winged blackbirds, cardinals and robins. Enjoy! And that's from Anna levy Urich or Jurich. Sorry, Anna. Brilliant. Thank you, Britt. Should we hear it? Should we hear what, what uh, Anna's sent in? loads more of that wow. <laughs> it's lovely isn't it it's um i love that woodpecker it's just yeah. a bit different from our woodpeckers yeah and um and those sort of curious birds that aren't ours mm. so spring from across the atlantic across the pond. yeah thanks anna um well and that's our sound of the week and our email of the week so i'd like to send you a copy of james mcdonald lockhart's book wild air and um he has signed it i do have to apologize because i took it on the podcast and it got a bit battered in my bag in the rain and wind uh but it's looking okay and inside it's all perfect so uh and it's signed by by james so a special thing i will post it out to you as i say yes our favorite email or sound will We'll receive a prize from the podcast library, the revered podcast library. I do have another. Um, I said we've got lots in. I'm going to read another one because um, this one, I, I need some help with it, actually, from the author. It's from Mark Thaxton, and he is in Cambridgeshire. And he's written us a lovely email about his adventures. Uh, and he sends us a recording of a gold crest, but he, but Mark, you haven't attached it to the email. So if you if you hear if you hear this plea, this plaintive cry, could you send it in we again want to hear we it. want to hear it <laughs> definitely definitely so that's about it from for this week still time to listen to skylarks so head out into those wild high places and arable fields hope you get your dose of skylark song a huge thank you f- to brit for stepping in my pleasure Been much better than normal weeks Nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> and um and thank you all for listening join us again next week where the regular team will be back it's episode 200 next week and that's something pretty special for all of us. But for now, it's goodbye from me and the podcast team. <laughs>